Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Sorata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? I, uh, I've i gotten like three hours of sleep, guys. I was up late last night at that uh, Oogie Boogie Bash at... Uh, Disney California Adventure Park, and then when I got home at uh, one in the morning, we stayed up until uh, six or seven in the morning editing. So, so that's my life now. Apparently, I'm not complaining. I had a lot of fun. But this is a long way of saying head on over to our YouTube channel. I'll link the video in the show notes, and if you want to see what Oogie Boogie Bash is all about, you can check out that video there. Let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start with the death. And resurrection of MoviePass? What is going on here, Ben? <laughs> so uh, on September 13th, MoviePass, uh, the, the parent company of MoviePass called Helios and Matheson Analytics, released a statement basically saying that MoviePass was dead. They said that uh, efforts to recapitalize MoviePass have not been successful to date. And they put out a statement saying... Uh, as a result, it pains us to inform you that effective at 8 a.m. on uh, September 14th, 2019, we must interrupt service for all current MoviePass subscribers. So from all you know, uh, uh, possible standpoints, it looked like MoviePass was finally dead after you know the service has gone through. We've documented essentially the entire rise and fall of this movie ticket subscription how, service. How many posts do you think we have in on Slash Film about the death of Movie Pass? Like we must have at least a, like a dozen, right? Or at least a half dozen. Um, yeah, definitely a half dozen. I think because it's it's gone through so many different um, uh, waves of like. <laughs> Oh, we we're running out of money. Oh, we're pivoting and we're we're switching and we're we're gonna make movies just, for now. Yeah, and... <laughs> we're dragging this out a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And then yeah, finally it seemed as if it was done. But then four days later, Peter, we found out that Ted Farnsworth, who is the former CEO of MoviePass's parent company is actually trying to resurrect MoviePass already. He is is putting he has put out an offer to buy the company that he used to run 
and all of its subsidiaries and assets and stuff, which includes MoviePass, MoviePass Films, MoviePass Ventures, and MoviePhone. He said, I believe there's great unrealized value in MoviePass, and we want to rebuild and make sure it reaches its full potential. I've always believed in the business model and the brand that uh, former MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe and I built at MoviePass. There's tremendous appetite for movie theater ticket subscription. <sighs> I so. mean, I, I don't disagree with him there. I feel like MoviePass is going to go down in history kind of like like Napster or MySpace where they came out with this outrageous idea at the time and started a big thing that got, you know, adopted by the industry. But, like, is there a way for them to survive and actually be a part of that? Uh, I, I personally don't think so because he, he specifically mentioned – you know, I've always believed in the brand that we built at MoviePass. And for me, that brand has just been completely tainted, like beyond belief. Like, I, I don't think there's any coming back from all of the scandals that have come out, not only just, you know, the the questionable business practices, but the, some of the information that has come out since then about how they changed the passwords of heavy users without their knowledge to basically stop them from using the service to its full extent and like how they inadvertently exposed thousands of customers card numbers online because they didn't properly protect their information <laughs> and like you know just tons of like god awful mismanagement on uh, practically every level and MoviePass has been in the headlines for all of that stuff so i just don't know if uh, I agree with him, too, I, I think there is tremendous appetite for movie theater ticket subscription. I just don't know if that appetite is going to apply to anything called MoviePass anymore. I think maybe he could, like, take that technology and just rebrand it into, you know, give it a new name and maybe be able to trick some people into signing up for something. But, um, Brad, uh, what do you think about all this? I want MoviePass to stay dead. I don't want anybody involved with MoviePass to come back <laughs> in any sort of way. Brad, you uh, were a heavy MoviePass user in the beginning. I was, and then they started screwing people over and betraying people and lying and ruining uh, privacy and security. And I just can't stand anything about that company anymore, and I hope everybody involved loses all their money. Ouch. <laughs> ouch. By the way, they, there's a lot of nice people that work for that company here's the, oh, here's the thing. if they're just employees that were okay. just working working for the company that's fine i'm talking about like the okay. executives and the people who made the malicious terrible betraying decisions and kept lying to people yeah, because... all the employees and people at movie phone that got caught up in it you're all cool you're all fine anybody else who had a controlling stake in movie pass and invested money and lied to people you can go to hell <laughs> yeah like we have friends i i like drew taylor who writes for movie phone is like a great guy and a great writer, and uh, it's a shame to see that, like, you know, his life has been put into turmoil over, like, you know, this company that bought a movie phone just for some, you know, I guess some traffic to their subscription service. Uh, you know, I predict, I predict next month we're going to hear that MoviePass is starting its own streaming streaming service because everybody is. Uh, speaking of which, NBC Universal streaming service uh, is going to be called Peacock, and they have announced a few like their initial slate of programming <laughs> based on uh, established IP. Brad, what do we know? Yes, Peacock is the name of the NBC streaming service. I'm going to say that again, Peacock. Why? We know why because it's NBC's mascot. It has been forever, but what a terrible name for a streaming service. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, uh, they did make a splash announcing that they were going to be arriving uh, in April of 2020, and they're bringing uh, a lot of exciting things that people will be very happy to see with it. Uh, as far as new shows are concerned, there is a Battlestar Galactica series uh, that is a new story that will be set within the universe of the sci-fi franchise uh, that Sam Esmail, the creator of Mr. Robot, will be in charge of. There's also a new Saved by the Bell reboot slash sequel series that has uh, Mario Lopez and Elizabeth Berkley reprising their roles from the original series. And the it, premise is, is it, weird it, because it <clears throat> focuses on Zach Morris, who was played by Mark Paul Gosselier in the original series, as the California governor who gets into hot water when he starts closing too many low-income high schools and proposes that those affected students be sent to higher-performing upper-class schools in the state, which includes Bayside High. Um, that's wait, wait, so wait, wait a second. Zach Morris is the governor? <laughs> <laughs> time out <laughs> <laughs> yes oh i missed that oh my god okay yeah you missed it but yeah it's, i just i don't know i'm not a saved by the bell kid so like i don't care about this but it just seems like such a weird premise for a show plus apparently today uh we didn't write a separate story about this or anything but mark paul gosler says that he hasn't been approached to star in this series at all so i don't know if he's supposed to be like an off-screen character who is only talked about and never seen or maybe not seen until much later in the the series but, uh, yeah, that's that's a weird thing. And then uh, Parks and Recreation creator uh, and good, the Good Place creator, Michael Schur, uh is developing a reboot of Punky Brewster, which is, I guess, kind of a classic series. Uh, follows a young girl who's being raised by a foster parent after her parents abandon her. Uh, kind of a quirky family sitcom kind of thing. It's... Is it going to be called Punky? <laughs> I feel like that's the kind of show name that a network called the Peacock would would come Pe out with. Peacock presents Punky. Yes. Um, and then on top of that, obviously we have all the library shows uh, from NBC Universal and the the various channels that are connected to them. So we'll see shows like uh, Thirty Rock, Bates Motel, Everybody Loves Raymond, Friday Night Lights, uh, King of Queens, Saturday Night Live, Superstore. Uh, tons of stuff, whether it's produced by Universal Television, maybe it was once on NBC, uh, will be coming to the streaming service. Now, some of these shows are currently already situated at other streaming services like Netflix or, and Hulu, uh, and those will stay there for, until the deals for those shows expire. But eventually, the idea is that pretty much all of these shows uh, that Peacock is touting as library content will eventually become exclusive to the program. It's seeming clearer every day now how if you want to launch a new streaming service, you need to have some big IP in your 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 library. And actually, wasn't IP one of the reasons why J.J. Abrams turned down Apple uh, yeah. and went with Warner Media? Ben, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So a report came out um, originally, I think, on the podcast when we talked about J.J. Abrams signing his uh, new deal with Warner Media. I mentioned that it was like a in the in the neighborhood of five hundred million dollars or something is what he was getting paid. But that turned out to be an incorrect uh, statement from Variety. What happened was. Abrams was actually offered $500 million from Apple, and he ended up turning down that deal for something closer to about half that, like $250 million to work for Warner Media. And the reason that he did that was because Apple wanted complete exclusivity, 
And under their proposed terms, Abrams would not have been able to make films for any other studios or sell any of his shows to other TV networks. And Abrams, as we know, is somebody who likes to sort of spread the love around and, and work with a lot of different places at once. Um, but yeah, the, a part of that was he uh apparently the uh, bad robot his production company um and he were it was basically kind of concerned about apple's lack of intellectual property and abrams himself has talked in the past about how he's no longer really interested in doing reboots or remakes um but i guess bad robot you know maybe abrams wouldn't handle those kinds of things as a writer or director but he could theoretically produce I don't know, like a reboot of some Warner Media property, like Looney Tunes or something. I'm just making that up. But, um, you know, Apple doesn't have that established catalog of uh, intellectual property to to dip into for a company like Bad Robot to to, you know, nose around in and see if they can find something that could um, could spark and, and hit in a new way with a new generation. Interesting. So he turned down a five hundred million dollar deal and accepted how much was the deal at Warner? Do do we know? For yeah, sure? they they said it was like around two hundred and fifty million, but then um, apparently a source uh, told um, the Hollywood Reporter that there's still room to make a lot of money in the long run. They said uh, Abrams has the ability to create new features that could see this deal reach the billions if he's able to create a successful franchise. So I'm guessing there's all sorts of um, provisions in his contract that uh, would allow for back end payments and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of streaming uh, services, creating IP-based content, uh, Quibi, which we've been talking quite a bit about recently, apparently is remaking The Fugitive. Yeah, so The Fugitive, people will probably remember as the 1993 movie that starred uh, Tommy Lee Jones as a U.S. Marshal who was hunting Harrison Ford's character, who played, uh, he was a, a doctor who was wrongly accused of killing his wife. And now Quibi, the um, mobile-only platform, which is going to be delivering short pieces of content that are like 10 minutes each, uh, is, is creating a new Fugitive show. And they have cast Boyd Holbrook from Logan and the Predator as the innocent man and Kiefer Sutherland as the detective tasked with tracking him down. And the plot is slightly different than what you would expect from the movie or even the original 1960s TV show on which the movie was based. Um, this one is about uh, a bomb ripping through a Los Angeles subway train and um Holbrook's character is trying to find his wife and 10-year-old daughter to make sure that they're safe, but he is caught up in uh, what the the official uh, synopsis refers to as tweet now confirm later journalism, and it looks to all the world that he was responsible for the bombing, and he basically just goes on the run to prove his innocence and find his family and make sure that they're okay while this legendary cop played by Keith Keeper Sutherland is uh, is tracking him down. So, um I mean, you know, the the premise for the fugitive, like the it's it's undeniably compelling, right? Like you've got this man on the run story, which automatically you know puts the audience on that character's side, and you can have, as Tommy Lee Jones proved in his Oscar-winning performance in uh, in the original movie, you can have somebody who you know really digging in and, and chewing on some scenery and having a lot of fun as the person who's tracking this guy down. So conceptually it works um i just i don't know if i'm fully sold on quibi yet <laughs> yeah Kiefer sutherland seems like the perfect guy for this role uh quibi so it's like a streaming service from jeffrey katzenberg and it's gonna be short term content so what does that mean like how long are these episodes gonna be do we know 
Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, uh, in general, they've talked a lot about Quibi being around the 10-minute mark. I think I've seen anywhere from 7 to 12 minutes per episode. And um, the thing is, they have so much content. Like, Quibi doesn't even launch until April 6th of 2020. But for the past, I don't know, six months or so, they've been signing some of the biggest names in Hollywood to create content for them. And it, it's it's like every single day there's more and more quibby stuff and it's becoming harder and harder to just write off as like a joke or or completely ignore it i think this is something that we're gonna have to grapple with because by the time april comes around at this pace like every major director in hollywood is gonna have a project there yeah i remember when we first brought this up chris like just dismissed it outright and i was saying how there is the potential here with like short-term content to do like kind of like this cliffhanger kind of like short form episodes that like make you want to come back every day to see the next like little five ten minute bit of story Mm -hmm. and uh when i think of cliffhangers i think of keith or sutherland in 24 so i don't know i think this is a marriage made in heaven so uh (laughs) but let's uh move and talk to talk about star wars uh john favreau who is producing the mandalorian and directing at least one episode of season two has expressed interest in making a new Star Wars holiday special. Uh, The Star Wars holiday special, of course, is one of the most, uh, I guess, made fun of holiday specials in the history of television. Um, Brad, is he joking around or is this something he's serious about? No, he's definitely serious about it. Uh, This is uh, John Favreau apparently has a fondness for the Star Wars holiday special, which is among one of the (laughs) most mocked and even hated pieces of star wars mythology even more than the prequels uh for those who don't know the star wars holiday special uh aired in 1978 uh it's it's intended to be like a christmas style program that took place in the star wars universe after the events of star wars a new hope it followed han solo and chewbacca as they tried to stay away from the empire and make it back to the wookie home world of kashyyyk in order to celebrate a holiday called life day which chewbacca hoped to uh spend with his father itchy his wife mala and his son lumpy uh which is another streaming service that's coming later this year no um (laughs) but uh yeah so this the star wars holiday special has is so reviled that george lucas never wanted it to be available to anybody after it aired uh it's never been released officially on dvd or streaming or or anything like that because it's such a joke but John Favreau, like I said, has a fondness for it, and he would like the opportunity to make a new Star Wars holiday special. Uh, he doesn't give any specifics about you know what he would do, but when the, the topic uh, happened to come up, he said, quote, I love the Star Wars holiday special, certain sequences more than others, but I love the introduction of Boba Fett uh, and that rifle that he had. That animated piece still holds up. It's pretty cool, and I still draw inspiration from that. I would love to maybe someday on Disney Plus uh, do a holiday special too. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I got to pitch that to them. We'll see. Uh, if you if you want to see a, a holiday special, let Disney Plus know. So by know, the way, I mean, the holiday special is not part of Disney Plus at all. Like that. No, that... no, at least not yet. Maybe they're saving it for a, a nice Christmas surprise. Yeah, he does bring up that um, Boba Fett animated sequence, which I think. Uh, is probably one of the best parts of that holiday special. Uh, I would argue that's the only good part of that special. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, that was the introduction of Boba Fett before The Empire Strikes Back came out. Although uh, He's like a different color or something? Totally different colors. Like, yeah, the original color scheme he had was like 
gray with some certain pastel colors, and that changed drastically before he was introduced in The Empire Strikes Back. But, uh, you know, I mean, if, if everyone, anyone can do this, it's Favreau, because he's one of probably five people who loves the Star Wars Holiday Special, and he wrote four episodes of The Mandalorian before he even pitched it to Lucasfilm and Disney Plus to do it as a series. So, there you go. Yeah, yeah, he's a huge, huge Star Wars fan. I'll say this, as someone who... Uh, love Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland and Disney World. Um, I would love for them to bring bring that life day, like for them to bring the the fake holiday to that galaxy. I think that would be fun fun to walk around and actually like celebrate this fictional holiday in a galaxy far far away. And maybe they could do that with a new um holiday special of some kind only if we get to meet a grown-up lumpy and lumpy has his own weird wookie child of his own <laughs> and he's constantly trying to sell you on his personal streaming service <laughs> speaking of which everybody has a streaming service nowadays even tinder has a streaming service uh they have their first original series ben what is going on yeah peter i think we're gonna have to draw a line here somewhere right like we can't be we can't be taking tender shows seriously now what, can we where's the line that we draw like is it like if Pornhub announces an original series or, or is everything on Pornhub in an original series? I don't even know. Anyways. Uh, so I don't, I don't think you want to talk about streaming services on Pornhub, Peter. Uh, okay. so I'm just uh, saying, moving... where, where is the line? Like, like you know, there is um, original series on, um, on, like, every app on my phone has, like, an original series nowadays. So it's like, like where, where do we draw the line, Ben? I don't know. I, I'm starting to think that we should just be, like... Uh, that we should i don't know we'll, we'll have to take this conversation off mic because I, I think there are honestly like we're gonna we're gonna start drowning in all of this content if we start covering this stuff legitimately because there aren't enough of us and they just keep adding shows every single day to all of this so i don't i'm not sure how anybody's expected to uh to handle all of this but i don't know maybe some of this stuff will just uh work itself out for us and and some of these uh, platforms will disappear as quickly as they arrive and we won't have to worry about it because like, okay, so this Tender thing, according to Variety, Tender is set to release an untitled choose-your-own-adventure style original series next month. And uh, according to them, they say the series is set against an impending apocalypse and asks the question, who would you spend your last night alive with? The show will upload directly to the Tender app and users will be able to swipe right or left the service's basic function of approving or denying a potential love match and advance the plot as they see fit. So if you're wondering why Tinder is getting into the original series game, the answer seems to be that they're doing it because of data collection and, and they're trying to analyze that data to put back into their own service. Uh, a source told Variety that Tender intends to create an algorithm based on how its users make decisions within the series and then match them with romantic interests based on those choices. A Tender user's particular view on how a group of characters should spend the eve of the apocalypse will lead them to others with similar takes, the thinking goes, and then perhaps to an awkward first date in real life. So that's the game plan behind this thing. And I'm not sure if that means that they're planning on doing more shows like this and also using that data to sort of funnel into, you know, giving people matches. But, um, man, what a what a world. <laughs> I will say this. As someone who uh, in the past has used online dating back in the the 
early days of that, it was like you filling out this profile and it was very boring and very laborious. And, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, I mean, not even nowadays, I guess like 10 years ago, things like OkCupid came out where like you could answer fun and interesting questions and it would match you up with other people with uh, similar interests or answers and stuff like that. Um is like experience like a form of content, like a movie and making decisions? Like, is that like you're basically playing a game and then it's matching you up with other people based on those? Inter- like, that actually sounds like it could be interesting. It might not be something in our wheelhouse to cover, but like, I mean, Brad, if you weren't in a relationship now, would you attempt that? Would you try that to see wh- who it would match you up with? I mean,. I don't, I don't even know. Like, it just seems like such a long way to go to just <laughs> to, to use Tinder for what it's intended for. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I, I'm, you, I'm you, baffled. You, you know what? You make a how- good point. This is like a dating service for people who don't want to, like, fill out a profile and just want to, like, swipe left or right. They're, they're so yeah, lazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. For me, Peter, it, it just seems like more anxiety, like adding more anxiety into the mix because now there's this extra pressure when you're making these decisions. Like, oh, God, I hope that I'm making the quote-unquote right decision to ultimately <laughs> be matched up with somebody that I want to be matched up with. And I remember when I was watching Black Mirror Bandersnatch on Netflix – it, it you know it gives you a timer like when those uh, decisions <laughs> pop up and like sometimes it takes a little while to read the question and you're sort of like making a last second decision and I don't know I, I would just feel like there was so much additional pressure on the whole thing if like I knew that every answer that I you know added to this tender thing would potentially lead to or or uh, sever ties with somebody that could be like a romantic <laughs> partner in the future. It just seems wild to me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Bandersnatch because I remember when when that came out and we were watching that, like there was – it's not even pressure to answer the question within that time limit, but like you're kind of thinking like if I make this decision, is this the, the movie or show I want to watch? So like there's so much – predicated on what choice you make and it like and that is so little in comparison to like making a choice in an app that could potentially set you up with your 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 wife and right. you know partner to be or you know whatever i don't know that's it's crazy crazy to think of uh the world we now live in uh which by the way the world we now live in it's going to be a world with a Breaking Bad movie, and uh, we we have now learned a little bit more about this. And w- there's actually going to be a chance to see this in theaters, which is kind of exciting. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so if you go to SlashFilm.com, you can see the list of, I think it's like 60-something cities where uh, the Breaking Bad, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, is going to be playing in uh, some limited theaters. This is a, a Netflix movie, so it's not going to be in you know AMCs and stuff like that, but it will be in some more independent theaters like most of their releases are. So you can actually, uh, I think, buy tickets right now at the official website, and we've linked to that in, the, uh, in our article as well. Um, but yeah, The Hollywood Reporter did this really cool piece um, sort of speaking with Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad and the the writer-director of El Camino, and Aaron Paul, who's coming back to play Jesse Pinkman 
in this new movie. And they revealed a few more little details about what we can expect from the film, which is that it, first of all, that it picks up immediately after the series finale of Breaking Bad, which is something that we knew the show involved what happens to Jesse after the show ends. But I, I think this is the first confirmation that it's going to pick up like moments after the series finale. Um, on top of that, we know that uh, most of the 50 day shoot happened in the same Albuquerque, New Mexico locations where Breaking Bad was set. Uh, although there are a few out-of-state locations as well. But the fact that most of it was shot in familiar locations means that it sounds like Jesse, even if he managed to you know, drive really far away and, and sort of escape to a new life, is, is probably going to get pulled back into where it all started in some way. No, Ben, um, we, all of America just looks like Albuquerque. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that, Peter. Uh, I mean, I, I love the Albuquerque setting of that. And, and um, you know, it, it's so, like, evocative and, like, the stuff that they did out in the desert was so great. And I'm thinking of, like, the RV shots out there. And actually, the RV itself where Jesse and, and uh, Walter White cooked meth in the show was reportedly seen in New Mexico while this movie was filming. So I'm wondering if that means that we're going to get a flashback featuring Brian Cranston, who died in the, the series finale. Um, but uh, yeah, it sounds like we're also going to see like 10, uh, or actually I think they said more than 10 characters from the Breaking Bad world coming back to reprise their roles in this movie, although a lot of them are still being kept secret. We know that Matt Jones's Badger and Charles Baker's Skinny Pete, who are uh, Jesse Pinkman's sort of drug buddies, are coming back. And obviously we know about uh, Aaron Paul himself. But in terms of other cast members, that's all we know about right now. But um, yeah, it sounds like we're going to get a new trailer for El Camino on Sunday during the Emmys. So um, stay tuned uh, to SlashFilm.com for that. Very exciting. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find links to all the stories we talked about on today's podcast in the show notes. Uh, you can find this podcast, slash film, slash film Daily, on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send uh, your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>